Welcome to the World Wild Podcast. I'm Miles Irving, and I'm going to get this introduction pretty brief this week because, as you may already have noticed, um, it's a it's a it's a long conversation that we've got for you. A long one, but a good one. Um, I hope you'll agree. So I'll just start by saying that um, this week we've got a couple of extra dates up for spring foraging in Kent. If you're anywhere near us or are going to be coming down this way, um, they're for the end of March. Uh, but at any time you're listening to this and and um, that's of interest to you, obviously people who are in the UK um, I'm speaking to specifically, you can always go on www.forager.org.uk forward slash courses and um, you, you'll you'll always find what we've got uh, coming up there. So now let's get down to business with the, the, this week's podcast uh, conversation. And it's it's really great to welcome... Fergus Drennan. We both were foraging um, in Kent and there was a place called The Good Shed opened up in Canterbury, which was an amazing concept all around local produce. Um, so it's not surprising that, that uh, two foragers who were completely unaware of each other's existence came out of the woodwork and made a, made a beeline for this um, sort of local food hub as, as uh, was and is. Still a fantastic place to go to get local food um, and just good food, really. The Good Shed in Canterbury. Uh, so we met there and we ended up collaborating in the early days of um, the forager business. We were we were sort of taking stuff up to London and, and really uh, meeting with a lot of interest and engagement with chefs um, back then. And um, we even made the papers. We, we, we had a we had a, an article in the Observer Food Monthly, which we'll, I'll provide the link for that. Um, it's quite a sort of fun historical document. But the weird thing is, just as, just as Ferguson and I found each other having not um, been aware of each other's existence, the week before we had this five-page long spread in the Observer Food Monthly, um, there was a, a guy called Jan Holder who had a piece in the Observer magazine. In which it was, it was um, a thing they they have. Uh, they may still have it. It's called "This Much I Know" or something like that. And someone just talks about their life and what they do. And uh, he he talks about selling wild plants to restaurants. And um, he was the only one that was doing it. Which, of course, as far as he was concerned, he was. And he predated us predated us by several years. I hasten to add. So it's kind of funny that all of a sudden foragers were coming out of the woodwork back in. Um, early 2005. Um, so we worked together for a while and then Fergus um, went off to concentrate more on teaching courses and uh, I carried on doing the um, foraging for restaurants thing. Uh, and since then, Fergus has just, just done the most amazing um, things and, and uh, he's just, um, I think he's just insatiable really in his, his appetite for exploring and playing and discovering and as far as i'm concerned he's as as a as a non-indigenous person um in other words someone that doesn't come from a tradition and, and a background where, where it's part of the culture their family growing up uh, to gather and use wild plants i think i personally feel he's probably taken it further than any other person alive so he did he did um three months of living solely on wild food and i believe one month of that was totally vegan We'll provide a link to to tell you that story. Um, and in fact, really, I should I should have Fergus back to talk just about that. But it, it would be a it would be a sort of single conversation. Um, and uh, for some reason, it just didn't come up in this one. Uh, but yeah, well, I mean, what an achievement! He lived entirely on wild food, uh, nothing bought or cultivated for for, for three months. Um, 
And um, I believe he's planning to do that for a whole year at some point in the future, which which will be amazing. And Fergus has done all sorts of other kind of projects and, and um, art projects. He's currently uh, quite active in making paper from mushrooms and making ink from, from mushrooms and, and, and plants and so on. So you can do a course with Fergus just about foraging, but you can also do courses where you learn to make that kind of paper, which is which is really cool. So... If you want to check out Fergus um, in in a lot more detail, there's loads of material on his website, which is fergustheforager.co.uk. So now let's um, let's get on with the actual conversation with Fergus Drennan. So I'm looking at I'm looking at an image of you, uh, your Skype image. Are you are you drilling a tree and tapping birch sap in that image? <laughs> so. You're noticing that image. I'm wearing a really, well, deliberately wearing the most dodgy leather jacket I could find from like, you know, 70s style brown leather jacket. Um, I've got an old style drill and I'm drilling a tree outside the Houses of Parliament. And it was, can you see them in the background? I can now. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, and I also did it outside the Ministry of Defence. It was really interesting. I mean, of course, the police came from march, marching both ends to kind of check me out. But I mean, this this was this was about fifteen years ago, and I thought I'd write an article on the importance of getting permission and um, what the consequences of what can happen if you don't. Uh, so it actually went perfectly. Um, and actually, the police were very good humoured um, after they'd given me a bit of a dressing down for being so stupid um, by having a drill that looks like a a, a gun. And uh, yeah, <laughs> but unfortunately, I didn't go on to write the article. I still might do one day. Um, what What were you drilling? So there weren't any birches or or um, sycamores around. So it was actually a London plane, and I wasn't really drilling it. I I was just, I attached the tube with some plasticine so it looks like I've drilled the hole and I've stuck the tube in. <laughs> yeah. Well, I suppose this, this means we have to now tell the story about, <laughs> about the army being evacuated as a result of you. Uh... Oh, no. <laughs> yes. I try to forget these kind of things. You know. Shall I tell it or shall you? Go- Go on, you you tell, and I, I I might fill in some some bits. The thing is, I I wasn't actually there, so I, I I'm just visualising it. But oh, you weren't. Of course, you're not. Sh- shall I shall I tell it as yeah. I remember it, as, as I've as or rather as I've tried to forget it. <laughs> so yeah, so you know, it's when we were working together, which was what back in 2003, and doing regular deliveries to London restaurants. It was 2005. I'm pretty sure. Uh, uh-huh. Okay. Or it could have been 2000. Mm. Anyway, it was it was it was right near some kind of terrorist thing that had happened, what, wasn't it? What it, it it was a week, exactly a week after the seven seven bombings in London. So, I mean, that was significant to what happened because. So, I remember our, our delivery van was broken. So I borrowed your, you know, your everyday car, which was a little bit dodgy, and. I think on the way up to London, the exhaust started falling off or something like this. So I pulled over at a service station and I went around the back of some bins and I found a whole load of wires to, to kind of tie up the, the exhaust to where it was, it was falling off. 
Um, and I also thought, well, you know, I'll, I'll take a few extra wires just to make sure I've got something in case it starts to ha happen again. And we had these polystyrene boxes that we were packed all our, our leaves in, didn't we, to kind of keep them fresh back in the day when there was no refrigerated vans and things. And um, so I, I stuffed a load of wires in there, um, not very carefully, just you know, shoved in a box like you would. And then I did a delivery at Jay Shiki's and I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm not, I don't, not enough. I did a delivery at the Ivy and, and I thought, well, and that all went very well. And I had a talk with the head chef there and it was all very friendly. And he was saying, if you ever kind of need a table, because, you know, it's a long waiting list sometimes to get a table. So just let me know. You come with your girlfriend, just let me know. It's all very friendly, right? So then I thought, well, I'm, you know, I'm, normally I would drive around to Jay Shiki's because it's like a 10-minute walk. But I thought, you know what, I'm not going to. That's ridiculous. So I just walk. I leave the car there. It was parked slightly awkwardly where it shouldn't have been, um, right outside the Ivy. I went to Jay Shiki's, and as I was trying to do the delivery, everyone was coming out. Um to oh no sorry they weren't no everything had just stopped and i couldn't do the delivery because they were doing um a two-minute silence to remember the victims of the bombing a week before right. so it was all kind of bit delayed and then i came back to the ivy and the whole block was um cordoned off and i just thought you know what's what's going on here it's like looks it's kind of quite serious um it's kind of a few police cars around so I, I lifted up some of like the, the, the tape that was sealing off the road to the ivy, kind of started going under. And then uh, kind of police policeman came up and said, well, there's a policewoman, actually. She said, what are you what are you doing? And uh, I said, well, I'm kind of just going up here. And she said, do you have a vehicle up there, sir? And uh, I said, uh, yeah. And she said, well, can you describe it? And then I'd forgotten the vehicle that we're coming in and I started describing our van. And she says, like, well, you know, that vehicle's not here. You go back under the tape. And then I kind of put my hand to my head and I was thinking, oh, no. It, in that moment, it dawned on me what had happened. Um, that, yeah. Oh, and I said, yeah, that's my vehicle. And uh, she said, oh, well, you know, there's it looks very suspicious and then I explained about all the wires and stuff and and, and we walked down because it, it was still out of sight and we walked round to it and there I saw everyone like uh, you know all the staff dies everyone was out of the ivy for the bomb scare major bomb scare that was going on that I'd caused you know um, and literally, I I couldn't look at anyone. I, I just kind of turned my face. I, I was talking to like the police, and then the whole discussion over twenty minutes was with my face turned because I felt so so uh, absurdly um, embarrassed. And then you know, I I meekly drove off, and I've I've, I've never been back to the Ivy since. And I think that might have even been my last delivery when we worked together. <laughs> um, a memorable one it was. For sure. Oh, my goodness. So, it, unfortunately, you, because you were looking down, you didn't look around to see which particular celebrities you had <laughs> in the of, and we're now standing in the street because yeah, this yeah. is a uh, forage-induced bomb scare. Oh, yeah. You know, as, as a, oh, what, I forget his name now, uh, Thayer. What's his first name? Samuel Thayer. Samuel Thayer, yeah. I remember years ago, he sent me a copy of his book, and and uh, in, in the front, he, he signed it, and he said, 
something like, please remember, like wild food can kill you, you know, <laughs> being ironic. Um, and I guess that this, this this was a situation where, you know, it looked like that was going on. Wild foods in boxes. Yeah, it looked like bombs. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <sighs> okay. So um, <laughs> what are you doing at the moment to try and get arrested? What, uh, what am I doing at the moment? Gosh, I think I, I think I've learnt the error of my ways. Um, so I'm, I'm very pleased to say nothing. <laughs> I'm dull. Okay. I know. I know. Okay. So what are you doing at the moment that, that that's, that's sadly unlikely to get you arrested? Um, unlikely. Nevertheless, nevertheless, interesting and. Uh, well, do you know what I what I what I what I was going to start this with? I know you're going to look at my, I, you know, I haven't used Skype for six months. I forget what my profile is. But I was going to start by reading a poem, which I posted the other day. It's a very well-known one that um, kind of listeners will probably might be familiar with. But it's very related to what I'm doing at the moment. Yeah. So perhaps I could read that. It's only very short. You'll, you'll probably know it as well. So. Smiling is infectious. You catch it like the flu. When someone, smile, when someone smiled at me today, I started smiling too. I passed around the corner and someone saw my grin. When he smiled, I realised I'd passed it on to him. I thought about that smile, then I realised its worth. A single smile, just like mine, could travel around the earth. So, if you feel a smile begin, don't leave it undetected. Let's start an epidemic quick and get the world infected. So we kind of all know what that's about. I mean, it's a lovely, lovely poem. I mean, what it was, a, what the, or the context of kind of why I thought that was kind of lovely to share that is, yeah, in terms of the coronavirus. And, mm. and also, you know, I, I was in London the other day. And it is true that, you know, people don't smile so much at London in London compared to kind of up north. And I, I, so I, was, I was also thinking about how when you don't make eye contact, you don't smile. That is a form of self-isolation, which is also kind of very topical. So mm. um, but I guess that, well, that kind of interested me because a, a long standing interest of mine is in kind of functional foods. So, um, you know, as we, well, we we know very well and people have known you know for, for centuries that that you know wild plants and food more generally can both be medicine and uh but sometimes we don't think in in those in those contexts and actually you can you can when you're cooking a dish you can emphasize the medicinal qualities of the ingredients that you're using so about this time of year i'm i'm going out i haven't started yet i'm going to do this in a few days go out get lots of wild garlic lots of nettles and I usually make wild garlic and nettle soup but this year I'm I'm really thinking about tweaking that recipe to include things like um, detoxed elder leaves um, ginkgo possibly um, skullcap root very antiviral plants so so mm. that I can eat this regularly and have antiviral wild garlic and nettle soup and I think I think the, the flavors of the 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 wild kind of more conventional wild food ingredients although you know they have many medicinal aspects themselves will will be strong enough to kind of balance the the other flavors that might be a little bit unusual so yeah that's that's kind of what i'm thinking about at the moment cool 
Skullcap, is that something that you found growing yeah, up for you? Well, I, I was wondering about that because I was, I was looking this up today and it's something that I probably have seen, but like marsh skullcap, but I don't, I, yeah, I'm not, it's, it's definitely not a plant that's on my, my familiarity kind of list, you know, but um, I've, been, I've been reading one of my, my favorite herbal books is one by um, Stephen Booner called Herbal Antivirals. And, mm. and he, you know, he's, he's looking at the, the different plant um, herb remedies to take to um, hinder the, the, the kind of course of the virus, uh, uh, given the way it works in the body. And elderberries and licorice um, and ginkgo and, and skullcap in particular, the root of, of Chinese skullcap, uh, he really r- rates for its antiviral qualities. But like, I was looking it up today and there's about 200 species of, of um, skullcap. Is that Scutellaria? Is that, is that right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And, and they, they do have really varied medicinal actions. So because I, I, I was because a friend of mine, I, she was kind of asking, she said, oh, she'd rather kind of use local things because I sent her the updated um, protocol that Stephen Boone has written. Um, I kind of posted that on, on Facebook and she was asking about it. And I had emphasized as well as the elder, which is local, the, the Chinese skullcap. And then I was thinking, well, what about our, our kind of native local varieties of Scutellaria? But I, I don't know medicinally if they could be used in, in the same way. So it's a question for me that I, I look forward to researching. Do you, do, what, do you have thoughts on that? I don't. The only, the only thought I have is that skullcap's a plant that I saw for the first time last year, um, at least noticed for the first time. And it wasn't in Kent. It was, it was uh, up in Applecross in Scotland. Mm-hmm. But I was baffled by it. It's a lovely little mint, mint family thing. Um, but mm. I didn't recognize it. I had to go to the book and... Yeah. And, um, and that's what it was. But um, <clears throat> I don't remember ever having seen it in Kent. It's not to say it's not there. I haven't, I haven't actually checked. Oh, I, I, I looked at the um, National Biodiversity Network kind of atlas, and it, it, yeah. it, it seems to be all over the place. It's not hugely dominant in, in Kent, but there's definitely lots of recordings there. But, okay. but it, I, you know, it's, it's, I find it so fascinating because I found myself kind of when I was running courses that last last year like i mean I always, I always find a kind of way to introduce them that's kind of like it just feels relevant to me at the time and and i found myself saying you know if foraging is about any one thing it's about noticing and mm. I, I just found it so interesting that you said because it's true that um you've, you've you might have seen it before and i'm sure i've seen it before but it's just that difference between seeing and you know kind of registering what's kind of around you but also not seeing in the sense that you haven't really noticed you haven't kind of honed in um and really started that specific relationship you know with the individual plant you've just seen the broader picture but not really honed in and seen as you often say like all the the jewels that are there yeah that's interesting yeah well it is really interesting i I mean i put it this way to um, some groups of people I've said um, you know we're here thinking that we're so uh, advanced in our literate cultures and looking down our noses at these so-called pre-literate cultures because apparently we can read and write but the thing is they can read 
what you're standing there staring at now. And for you, it's just generic green stuff. They can read it. Um, and they sorry, can, sorry, who can who can read it? Uh, sorry, yeah, I'm not making the, the preliterate cultures that we might look. Oh, uh-huh, I see. Say, are oh, they preliterate, literate, and they can't read and write, but they, yeah, but yeah. they, they can read. And I, and I put it like this: I say they can read green, you know, oh. and you can't. So <laughs> today we're going to teach you your first few words of green, and yeah, by the yeah. end of the day, you'll be able to say, oh, that's that's. Um, I mean, obviously, people do know their first few words of green. I think. There's hardly, there's got to be hardly a, a, a person in in, uh, in England that doesn't know uh, what a nettle is. But yeah, um, on the whole, people are just looking at generic green stuff. But I wonder, yeah. what you've just made me think, though, in saying about noticing, um, is that perhaps what we're doing is introducing relevance, you know, uh, and that's how people start to, to, um, to notice. Because um, even as I'm sure you've, You've got examples like that you could mention, but where, th- th- there's so many things that we still don't habitually look at or or harvest. I remember there was there's um I think it's a species of aspen or something like that. But Thomas Larsen from from um, Denmark came over. Uh, I think it was Thomas, and and he showed us that the uh, the leaves or the some some part of that had um, see I've not followed it through, so I can't remember. But I, th- I think it might be coumarin. The same stuff that the uh, vernal grass has got and everything, oh. but I suddenly started noticing these these um, aspens everywhere then, and 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 when he first mentioned it, I said, "Well, I, I don't know that there are many of those around here, you know." And this obviously, I'm <laughs> the same thing. So it, what he'd done is switched on the relevance of aspens for me, yeah. and that yeah. enabled me to to suddenly realise that they were everywhere, and and I and I guess that played out in the fact that I kept noticing them. But I'd gone past them in spite of being a forager yeah. with, with, with a, a fairly um, wide range of plants that, that I'm noticing and using. And yet this one was switched off completely for me. I'd go past it without it having any relevance. It <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't yeah. notice. It's so funny. So it's just happily there existing, but not existing for us when we don't notice, isn't it? Isn't it? So it's so interesting. Um, I mean, my, my examples of that are, are so many. I guess it's any new plant that you discover and you take interest in, then suddenly they're, they're, you know, they're often all over the place and they're often, um, you know, so close at hand that they're literally in your garden or just around the corner. And you, and you kind of, when you see them, um, you, you, it's almost, you kind of chuckle to yourself in in disbelief. Um, And, you know, kind of wonder to yourself, like, how many other things not necessarily plants you know does do i do i just not notice and you know i don't beat myself up about this because obviously you know it's often a discussion in in terms of kind of religious perspectives and enlightenment that how you know it it's it's not really practical to have this kind of godlike expansive consciousness that can kind of perceive everything because as human beings we need to we need to kind of um yeah we, we we need to be kind of conscious from a from a from our creaturely perspective um in a in a kind of focused way because otherwise we wouldn't be able to cope or do anything if we had this expanded consciousness all the time but you know i think when when we do develop that awareness working with wild plants so, oh look it's this thing and I, it's it's been there all the time and i haven't noticed it that we can 
you know, expand our abilities to notice more generally in a way that's still very valuable, but that isn't overwhelming. So I, I think it's a gateway to that, really. I, I I think it's interesting because, you know, the fact is, I mean, when you look at when you look at something like Facebook now, where we apparently have, I don't know, 300, 1,000, I think, the, isn't the maximum of 5,000 or something, you're not allowed to, so-called friends, you know. Or, and, and 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 that's that's an example of sort of expanding towards sort of godlike realms of, of knowing people, if only it were possible. You know, yeah, it yeah. isn't possible. You you aren't having actually a relationship with all of those people. And and somehow there is there is some kind of filter that that um, that limits. But but nevertheless, it's definitely true that there is uh, a need for us to have you know depth of relationship with. Um, a certain number of people where I'm going with this is just thinking about like when, 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 when our noticing or our noticer gets switched on to um, plants, but, but you're sort of expanding it to say that it's not just about plants, you know, that, that what else are you not noticing? Mm. I think, I think maybe it boils down to something along the lines of who are the people or what are the things or the ideas that, that, or the, you know, plants, whatever places even, that I am supposed to be having a dialogue with, or or um, or, or engaged with, and and it's it's it's. I mean, I guess you have to have some kind of faith in some underlying goodness of things that there is a there is a meant to be about mm. it. Because if you're just thinking that it's all just random chance and material and dog eat dog and so on, you wouldn't have that thought. But like, if, if there's some, <laughs> yeah, there's just some basic sense that there are things that 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 are gathering together in, in this uh, material universe that, that, that there's people that we're meant to know and, and, and there's ideas that we're meant to have and, and things like that. I guess the question is then um, how can we better facilitate that? You know, how can we, how can we, I guess, listen better to, 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 to be, uh, to hear that little tap on the door when something that you're supposed to be relating to is knocking. <laughs> yeah. 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 And in, in that noticing and that the relationship that's developing of what you're noticing is what, you know, what are the many layered opportunities within that relationship that allow allow the kind of greater kind of conversation you're having with the world and connections with others? What what are what are what are the, the doorways that are opening up in the, in that moment of, of noticing? Um, that's kind of what kind of it, I wonder. Yeah. And, and that's really nice because it, it it's like a handshake. It's a hello, my name's Miles or whoever. Yeah. In that moment, it's a greeting, isn't it? It's it's a first point of contact. Mm. But I guess then we return to that point of contact, and that's the thing that um, is so lovely about the seasons. And 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 I guess don't we see that with with um, the seasons? You know, that every year we come round again, and here's our old friend, you know, Wild Chervil or Mm. whatever it is and 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 something really does unfold within that relationship um not not in every case but probably i would say most of the plants that i use year after year some subtle little thing in in how i get to know that plant and what i would think to do to use it or when i would harvest it or how i'd use it differently at different Mm. stages is definitely unfolding in 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 a in a very similar way to, to how people that you know surprise you with 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 hidden depths or just 
facts about their or their biography, you never would have guessed that they did that or that their sister was this person or that they'd once lived in this place, you know. Yeah. It, it's, um, it's, um, that's it. I mean, it's like, you know, we see the plant returning the following year and, yeah, I, I guess you're you're talking about the stories, the multi-layered stories over time and place that we have associated associated with a particular plant that kind of d- develop over the years. Um, I, I lost the train of what I was thinking. Yeah, sorry, though. we can edit out the long, long, long pause. <laughs> it doesn't matter. You take your time. Yeah. Yeah, I guess you know. When I, it's interesting when you, when you forget what you were saying and uh, you're just kind of quiet and you just see whatever kind of impressions come in. And so what was coming in very strongly is that I we were talking about stories associated with plants, and then actually what I started to think about was like a an overarching story um, that happened like years ago, but it's kind of relevant as well to that 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 sense of it. Uh, um, not noticing um, and perhaps noticing too much and the way we also relate to plants and the natural world because I was I was just thinking two things just now it's like one that the last thing when I chuckled to myself about n- noticing something that I haven't noticed was last week when I was driving down the hill from where I live and I got stuck in traffic of which I am also um, traffic. <laughs> so, so, you know, there I was stuck and I looked looked over to um, the other side of the roundabout, the other side of the road, there's a dentist there. And there is this huge yew tree, which is kind of sculptured, like, like one side of it's completely flat to the building. It's like an extension of the building and it's just all kind of rounded off. This great bilious um, 15 foot high, sculptured you right now i've been passing this place for five years and obviously i've seen this every single time but it was like i've never seen it before and i was just looking at it i was amazed i was <laughs> just like flabbergasted and i realized in, at that moment that probably the reason i didn't notice it because it had no intrinsic value in terms of for me like some kind of use that I could relate to it in terms of and and I thought that's actually quite sad that I'm just seeing the world sometimes just in terms of utility and and the thing that I was chuckling about and I really appreciated it it's kind of jolly um kind of nature this this kind of tree and I guess it was like taking in the because when I was talking earlier about what seeing but not noticing is that we take in the bigger picture and aesthetically it might be lovely, but we don't see the details. Whereas this one, I was seeing the aesthetics and the beauty, but in the very specific. And I and I thought, well, sometimes I might lose that because I'm too engaged in, you know, what I, what I can can get from this this plant. And that, and that brings me to another, the, the other thought that I was, when I was just quiet a few moments ago, I'm just thinking it was something which for me has been one of the greatest lessons that I've learned and that someone has helped facilitate with me. And, and that was with, with 
my ex-partner Francis, who, who is who you know, and we we used to go out for walk after walk um, in in the countryside, and and I was always darting off, identifying something, gathering something, and she would say to me, "Look, can we just go for a walk?" and you don't have to identify something. You don't have to gather something. You don't have to work out like a hundred different ways of using this plant. And over the course of a couple of years, I would always say, like every time that we'd be going for a walk, I'd say, yeah, yeah, of course, of course I can do that. Um, but it's almost like I wasn't hearing her. I was just saying this. And then one time it was Boxing Day. We we're going for a Boxing Day walk. And she said the same thing again. And and can we just go for a walk and you don't identify something you don't do dug off? And, and I said, my usual thing of like, of course I can do that. And then she 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 shouted, she got really angry. And she said, You always say this, but you always do it. You always do it. Like, so let's go out. No basket. We're just going for a walk. We're just in nature, going for a walk. And I, and I, and I thought, and it was the first time I'd really heard her, really embraced it. You know, it almost embarrassed to say that. I'm very embarrassed to say it. I'm not almost embarrassed to say it. I'm very embarrassed. So we went for this walk a um, couple of hours. And my goodness, it was a revelation. Like I had realized that I had, and this is the irony, is often I think it's, you know, it's people's kind of projections on their ideal of, of like a forager, like they're really engaged, nature engaged, you know, really kind of sensitive to the natural world. But actually, I realized that in all my breaking down of a plant into kind of all its constituent parts and transitional moments and working out how to, to cook, you know, and in all the different ways, historically, cross-culturally, all the rest of it, it just become an absolutely neurotic thing. So this and I didn't know that I didn't know that until we went for this walk and I just let it all drop and so it was getting into that feeling again of what it was like not to do that but just be out there and engaged with where you're walking through but without doing doing that it was and so I the feeling I I, I got so much nourishment from that day because I I, I learned it's like I had to relearn into that feeling of what it was like to drop all that. And it was such a gift because now I, I, I can I can choose just do that at a, at a kind of a click of the fingers, whereas and you know, switch between the, the kind of breaking down of, of plants, which can be a very good, good thing, a very useful thing um, to, to just switching all that off and just enjoying being there without having to do any of that. Um, so that, that just occurred to me that's kind of related to noticing and like the stories mm -hmm. that occur around plants I just wondered if you'd, you'd had kind of similar experiences well I think what it what it's making me think is that we're still talking about the same thing as we were a few minutes ago with this um, potential for uh, overload you know like that we're um, having not um, got any kind of uh, really um, divine capacities to, to, to that extent of, of being able to notice and, 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 and handle all information and all relationships simultaneously, um, that, that we necessarily, there are, there are um, things that we maybe should be tuning into and maybe shouldn't, you know, and obviously neuroscientists talk about how the brain does that, that it filters stuff out. But I think 
what you're talking about is is where it's at the level of personal choice mm. to kind of either either be in this um, slightly hyper thing of, of of wanting to just know it all, and and I think I, th- I just think probably most people who've gone on the journey that 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 we're on, as in rather being brought up in a traditional culture where you gradually learn this stuff and it's just normal. We've got terribly excited about the fact that there's all this stuff to know, mm. and we've gone berserk with with a, with a project of, of of just of just trying to trying to know it all, which is actually mm. a natural position to be find finding ourselves in. Mm. And only certain kind of ca- characters, the foraging world does seem to be full of characters, um, are, are you know slightly kind of on the fringe of of what might be defined as normal. Um, <laughs> To, to, to have that motivation to, to just go all out and discover this information yeah. and, and in so doing to, to just really ratchet up our level of noticing so that we're noticing it all, but we're also wanting to get drilled down into the detail and notice all of that as well. Mm. Um, yeah, that's just what made, made me think that we're kind of talking about the same thing still. Um, yeah. Whereas maybe you were moving more into that <clears throat> space the day that you got Francis insisting on it um actually happening <laughs> moving into what space sorry. that listening space that i was referring to that where, where we were more in a space of saying well what other relationships i should be having well other than it, just going out there to just yeah shove your face into the bowl and like i'm gonna see it all at, <laughs> and eat it all at once you know to, to actually stand back and go well, what is actually talking what is actually talking to me what's it's, it's the yeah, other way. Well, that that's very interesting you say that because I know from a, a re- relational point of view um, or kind of a consciousness point of view or uh, however you want to describe it, like there's kind of an infinite way of kind of relating to the world and, and plants and kind of a natural world. But in in my experience, um, you know, there's been three key ones. There there is that just kind of being and enjoying in the sense of just going for a walk and there and you're just kind of yeah you're mindful of your your, your steps your breathing and like the, the sensations of the sun or the rain and, and just the, the you know the, the plants around but there and that's a connection of sorts and then there's the other the one that i, w- I was talking about that's you know it's uh, the mind breaking things down and analyzing and as a third one which is that just happened to me. And I think we spoke about this possibly at the foragers meetup a, a, a little bit um, a, a short time ago is that more kind of animist kind of relation to the world where, and yeah, I don't know how it happens, but it seems to come as a, a gift where the listening is, is the listening, the hearing, the understanding relating comes from a point not of separation. Um, you just seem to enter nature, if that makes sense, because we're already there. But it, it just seems that this kind of entry, and I don't know, it's a conscious from a, from a mind conscious or it's a kind of heart or what it is that enters this. It, it by, by entry, I mean, it comes to this point of relating and understanding where everything is completely suffused with meanings and signs and a dialogue that goes on. But without the I, I guess without the kind of dualistic um separation between what you're what you're looking at you're you're literally are flowing as part of the natural world and 
yeah so it's kind of three aspects of, of consciousness I, I i'm kind of really interested um i'm interested in yeah i mean i think the the, the third one is 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 definitely the most compelling and i i i increasingly think that um yeah i do remember you telling me about that that was um you, you talked about a particular occasion where you found yourself in that space um mm. and you weren't you couldn't say why it had happened or, or what anything like that but I mean, it, you know, all, all the all the religious traditions and a lot of you know philosophers and and so on, and it's psychologists and you know it, it is kind of, and poets all talk about this kind of union, this kind of integration or oneness. So it's interesting that you can hear about that from all these different points of view. You know, a neuroscientist, mm. a poet trying to explain what happens to him and mm. what he's actually articulating when he writes poetry. Mm. Um, or, or, or the sort of, you know, animist, indigenous worldview, mm. um, or I'll say that's three, and then, and then four, like these, these kind of religious traditions that speak of, um, well, they, they speak of union, but they speak also of knowledge as union. You know, there's, 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 uh, there's a Hebrew word, um, yada, which means to know, and <laughs> I mean, it's used in various different ways. Why are you laughing? Uh, no, I just, I, yada, I just, yada, I just, yada. I just, I just ha- ha- heard the voice in my head of someone saying yada 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 yada. Yeah, that's why. <laughs> if life was yada yada yada, so so yeah. like in that sense that that it's talking about when you know by um, being belonging to, being part of, being Ooh. in union with, that Ooh. is a kind of knowledge, and it's it's uh, anyway. Ooh. The thing is that there that there's that so. A, just thinking it through there come up with four different approaches that all seem to be saying the same thing um what would you say i mean i mean part of that experience that kind of indigenous kind of mind if you like or heart or kind of consciousness i mean do you think that's related i'm not i i think it is to the way we perceive as as children but is perhaps forgotten um but and also i mean do you think like irrespective of kind of religious spiritual beliefs that just by the very nature of perhaps what we do or other people that are kind of engaged with the natural world are are more likely to have those kind of experiences well i i just think it is the 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 older i get and the more i kind of yeah just just mull things over and, and try and make sense of things I'm convinced that it is just it, it is just integral, you know. Like we 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 evolved to um, have language, you know. We evolved to you know this sort of reciprocity, this two wayness. Um, I I just think that the nature of life is a and I'm trying to develop these ideas and try, trying to do some writing to to articulate it at the moment actually. But mm. it's basically a hand in glove thing. Okay, so so we are a hand and and various different environments that we find ourselves in are like are like a glove that's one way of thinking about it or a key in a lock or or something like that uh, um i mean i don't know there's perhaps not the best metaphor to to approach this in the way that we're approaching just now but I, I, what i'm trying to say is i just think that this 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 union this fitness this oneness this sort of this dance between we and uh, uh, well me and 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 the other which is um i mean dan siegel's come up with this thing where he, he says it's me 
You know, there's, there's, <laughs> you can think of me and you can think of the other, but then there's this, this space that we are just um, totally designed to enter into, which is we, you know, like, and, and, and a mother and a baby is that, you know. So, so, so you're going to have to say that several times. Go on. Mui. 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 M-W-E. That's Dan Siegel's thing. He talks about <laughs> the, 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 the usness, you know, that the, the, the is integral. That we can't help but enter into that space to some extent. That's what we do when we're intimate with another person. Yeah. Um, but, but and, and, and the, like, you know, the trouble with some kind of approaches, and it's true of all traditions, I'm not trying to out one tradition against another, yeah. but all yeah. religious traditions do tend to put this in some rarefied space, which which is by definition seems rather unattainable. But what I love about when you look into the neuropsychology and and, and poets and, and start from there and indigenous people, uh, and then look back to religious traditions, say, well, maybe this is what they were trying to talk about actually, but they put it in in you know in the monastery or in the in the prayer meeting or the or the 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 the, the 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 meditation technique or whatever mm. you know that that's where you'd find it and maybe we do need some tricks to help us get back into this vein when mm. we're badly out of it but the point is for me that that sort of uh sense of union that sense of being like you said there's no separation between you mm. and the space that you're in or you know when you're really in love with someone or really just close friendship or whatever that there's no separation at times between mm. you and the other person there's just this flow and dance and this oneness and the mm -hmm. sense that people have that sense of God or, 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 or the divine and so on. But, but for me, that, that is so integral to our actual biology and physiology that, that, that it takes quite a lot of, of some kind of built-in sabotage mm -hmm. to prevent it from happening. You know, that I just think if we... I, yeah. Go on. Well, I, I, I was just going to say, I mean, you know, there's so many approaches now to psychotherapy and all the rest of it that about getting into the, the body much more yeah. because I think you know one of the you know somatic approaches because I think what of one, one thing happens we are just so much in our heads yeah. um, and I think you know that that is that is what that you know it severs the link it really can't can be um, you know, yeah. I, even even when I when I was starting to ask you like the questions about just now, like you know what could this be, and and when we were talking at the Foragers Association about you know I don't know what I did to um, to kind of facilitate this experience of kind of union and oneness, but I mean that that just those very questions and and that thought process is part of the problem. It's not about I, I think it's not about doing it's literally about being mm. but it's like how do you be and like how do you be i think a lot of the answer is it's a slowing down it's a bodily awareness it's a awareness of how that body connects you know with with with, with the breath with the with the soil with the air you know um the sounds flowing in and out between you and the world it's like but it's it's very much in the body and that's so that's something that I, I'm very much thinking about these days and trying to explore in my um, in, in these days. I mean, I I think I think one possible answer to the question of, uh, that you've just asked about how do you be is is um, is 
is uh, relate. Not ask, not ask the question. <laughs> so, yeah. I wasn't going to say yeah. that. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think it's a good question to ask. We're, we're, we're trying to think, you know, how could we accidentally stumble into that space more often, you know, in a, in a yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and I think that it's all about relating rather than acting in this kind of one way, you know, mechanical way, just acting upon our surroundings and, and, and seeing these things as technical problems, you know, uh, that, 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 um, that the minute we, we begin to relate, then, then, then we are setting ourselves up to accidentally stumble into that oneness, you know, because it's, it's, um, yeah, it's the two way, the two way thing that gathers us in, you know, it's the, it's the back and forthness of, and, um, but I think you know that does come down to just you um, you have to accept or, or somehow dare to believe or, or just have a an inkling that it might be so you know that that, that underlying everything is is something benign you know I just, I just think unless you unless you think that, that this is a this is fundamentally a kind space that we're in. Somehow, you know that the the, the 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 world of matter has something about it that means us well you know and i think for me well, it's, it's yeah so i was just going to say that when when i have had these kind of these kind of gifts of being and being able to enter into a kind of an, an indigenous mind heart kind of space in terms of a kind of non-dual connection with the natural world i mean one of the kind of all-pervading feelings is one of absolute well, I guess connection, that, that radical and that depth is just one of feeling utterly supported um, mm. and and loved. And it is, it is everything feels benign in, um, in, in that situation. Although, you know, I, I, yeah, I've, I've, I, I guess I've not been in, in I've, I'd, I'd be very interested to, to, when you are in that kind of situation and you are challenged by something that could, be potentially kind of threatening um but yeah what what ha what happens then but i don't know it's 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 a well, new area to me I, well i think that's that's a very interesting question i don't know so i mean I, as as you know because i've talked to you about this before but uh i'm very very struck by um stephen porges's polyvagal theory and mm. i often mention it on the podcast um in fact I get to the point where I think I probably mention it every week, but um, <laughs> but one of the interesting things there is the uh, the central idea is that we have this space that we are evolved as uh, mammals in particular to occupy, and and it's a it's a, it's a sort of neurophysiological system mm. um, which he calls the social engagement mode. And that's where we're supposed to be. So we're kind of talking about that in all this oneness thing. I think that we are talking about a, the, the, the sort of ultimate expression of that social engagement mode where, where we're socially engaged with everything, you know, not just uh, mm. us, you know, you and I having a friendly chat or, mm. you know, um, any other kind of interpersonal within human thing that, 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 that somehow there's a space where you get into where you're one with, with, uh, with uh, you know, it's like the Buddhist hot dog um joke isn't it like the, the, the guy goes up to the, the, the pizza the pizza 
Well, or, or, yeah, so or make, a hot dog, or a hot dog. Yeah, yeah I don't. You, you, the guy goes up, the Buddhist goes up and says, make me one with everything. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, so anyway, one of the key points in that theory is that mammals are evolved to make each other feel safe and that the social engagement thing happens because you have these cues of safety, such as smiling and friendly voices and little uh, crow lines on the edge of your eye, the sort of laughter lines. That is a sign that this 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 other mammal is safe to approach. Mm-hmm. And then from there, we, we kind of, uh, we can start engaging in bonding behavior, which really strengthens that sense of safety. And it has mm-hmm. basically built a nest around us that now we feel completely safe. We can drop our guard and we can do this social engagement thing and explore the oneness. But one of the uh, implications to that is, is, is what Paul just calls co-regulation, where uh, we enable each other to, to, um, to stay in that space. So we give each other cues so that our neurophysiology is, is, is safe. And that means if someone gets a bit leery or out of it, that people can soothe and bring them back, you know, and mm-hmm. that we, we can help each other. Mm-hmm. I'm really interested in how this, this kind of stuff um, would relate to not just interpersonal between human stuff, but like the ideas that we're exploring, where we feel we have a relationship with the natural world or mm. even the physical yeah. universe in a sense that the whole thing is somehow expressing benign intent to us and, and relationship. But, um, but uh, anyway, that's, that's probably, um, yeah, um, I'd like to explore that. I don't really have any answers, but yeah. Yeah. And, and I think when, when there is that sense of, of, of union, um, if, yeah, related to what you you said, if someone is Larry or something challenging kind of happens, that because there is that deep connection, that we, we, we kind of intuitively know what is collectively or individually what the right response is. Yeah. Because the answers are just there. Um, yeah. Well, also the sources of soothing are there. So, I mean, I, I'm I'm sort of rattling off. So the sources of soothing are part of the answer. Um, yeah. And, and, and like, so, I mean, just the classic example, this is sort of textbook stuff for the, uh, this is Peter Levine talks a lot about this, this great guy that does the somatic stuff. Um, yeah. I'm sure you know. Um, but, you know, an animal that's been chased by a tiger will, will, will go for three sources of soothing immediately afterwards. It will, it will, it'll, it'll shake mm. and get the, get the uh, tension in its muscles which is basically holding the trauma that's just happened yeah. it'll shake it out and then it will go back to the herd and do this co-regulation thing just by standing with the herd and it will graze which which that will be like the relation to uh, the soothing <laughs> from, from land yeah I, I a couple of years ago i started doing tre which is um trauma release exercises based on this Ah, yeah, I'm trying to remember what that was called this morning. Yeah, that's what it is. So I I, I think I've got it good. I do that and I also go and graze. So um, (laughs) I'm doing something right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, so, and and the the lovely thing about that is, you know, like other mammals are a key to this this, uh, state, which great religions have called enlightenment or whatever, you know, but it is, Mm. it is, it is like, the babe in arms or just hugging a friend. Um, I mean, um, I mean, I, as you know, I, 
I forget who I've told this to, but, but going to the Foragers Association thing was interesting because you, you, you realize that a few people um, have kind of got this and, 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 and they surprise you. So you give somebody a hug and then they stand there for 30 seconds. I go, ah, this is someone I've convinced that 30 second <laughs> hugs are a good idea. Because I mean, I really do use that. That's a, that's a, that's a thing. If you if you hug somebody for for longer than a few seconds, yeah, the oxytocin kicks in. That's you it. are genuinely bonding. You have to not talk. So if people talk, I just carry on hugging them until they stop talking. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. if they think about this. Otherwise, they they'd obviously think this is rather strange. But but I keep getting surprised by people I've told about this who obviously get the point and and find it and uh, really beneficial. Because when I give them a hug, they they just carry on. And, and, and that's co-regulation. That's us being a source yeah, yeah. of safety and soothing. And, and, and when you come to a new uh, a, a social event, I don't know, but I think everybody feels a little bit nervous, but I know that I certainly do. I find it a bit difficult to be in this room full mm-hmm. of people I haven't seen for ages and we've all just arrived. So I am deliberately actively using that as a tool now to try and get myself in a better space to relate mm-hmm. to everyone. And, and and I find it's quite a bonus that there's sort of maybe three or four people in the room that that, that get this too that I can deliberately co-regulate with them and and um, mm. into that space. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I I always feel a bit torn in in the sense that yeah, kind of you know, you, you kind of we we know a lot now about the kind of you know, neuroscience and biochemistry of what's going on and you know the oxytocin release in, in this situation, um, but it's kind of useful to know. Because um, then, obviously, you can uh, apply it. But also, I kind of, it's part of me doesn't want, want to know the the ins and outs and, uh, and why. But anyway, the, my my thought was, I, I kind of wonder. For, I mean, because various reasons, and yes, certainly, I'm a, a candidate that that for someone that needs to kind of hug for more and and for longer. Because I I do find it very hard to connect with people, and. It's probably, uh, in large part, what has drawn me to seeking for those connections, not so much with people, but what with the with the with the natural world and with plants. And I do wonder if, um, yeah, I mean, do you know? Have there been studies? I mean, when when I'm relating to a plant in in or or any of the kind of different ways that I do, I mean. And particularly as we talked at the beginning of this conversation, like, you know, you might see like the other day I saw um, um, comfrey flowers for the first time. And it was just it really it, it, it felt like an embrace, like a hug. You know, um, when I was seeing those, I was just so happy. You know, you know, I wasn't there to kind of do anything with comfrey flowers. I was just doing doing something else. But there they, they were on a bit of kind of disturbed ground and it. And I just felt this connection between me and them, and it felt like a hug. And I, I wonder if in that situation, like, you know, biochemically, there is oxytocin release and all the rest of it. Right? Um, and that kind of soothing that goes on there. But it certainly felt good. So, I, I believe that Dan Siegel is working on, on, on a book at the moment that looks at this. So, so he's, he's the 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 coiner of the term interpersonal neurobiology, which, which mm. a lot of this stuff we're talking about, the, the somatic therapy and forgeses stuff falls under that. There's this amazing work going on with a lot of people who, who kind of would say, yeah, this, this is actually a better term rather than psychology or whatever mm-hmm. term you might put on it. 
to describe what we're doing because it's saying the, uh, the, 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 uh, the really important stuff about how we think and how we experience and, and just who we are and, you know, our neuro, neurobiology is at root, it is interpersonal. And um, I believe that, 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 that Dan Siegel is currently working on, on, uh, on a book which tries to extend that out into uh, people's relationship to land and 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 um, other species. I mean, I had very brief correspondence with him where he, he indicated that there's a lot of research out there that 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 is fleshing this out. Um, I'm hoping to have him on here as a guest. Actually, I, I was just I was just about to say, have have you thought about that? Yeah. I, I mean, I'm on the trail. It's just that you know these people always have someone <laughs> persuade. To, to make the date and it's it's a kind of provisional yes but but yeah. it, it might be better when when that book is out to to do to do it then but but i i mean i'm i'm convinced that um that this is exactly the thing you know that the, that the oxytocin bonding stuff that we experience as a felt sense and 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 it provides a basis for us wanting to relate further to this or that person i, I i'm convinced yeah, I mean that it wouldn't be hard to to, to, to test that, would it? You know, like to, mm. to see that has has oxytocin now kicked into Fergus's bloodstream because he saw those flowers. I just think, mm. obviously, obviously, that must be what's happening. And I, I think so. Yeah, I I, I think I've just uh, I'm having images of because well, I I'm, <clears throat> this is what's going on for me now and and for you too, I'm sure, because um, we're into birch tapping season. Mm. Um, and you know it's sad that it's become a um, a term of disparagement, but you know, tree huggers, you know. Uh, but you know, I, I literally, I mean, I, as you probably know, it's a few years ago I, I really started to promote the idea of like snipping off the end of a branch and uh, you know putting bottles on that way. And you know, partly that came from a lot of tree hugging and and hugging of birches and, and kind of trying to feel into some kind of dialogue about what is the best way to do this you know um or if it's even relevant or appropriate to, to do in terms of tapping right now this particular birch that i'm relating to you know um and i yeah I, and so that is a situation where i am literally hugging a tree um, <laughs> and uh yeah, I, I wonder what, what, what happens there. Although it's a slightly different feeling because it's kind of a warm, kind of connected feeling, but that I, that I'm also very much very active. I'm very active in trying to listen, trying to sense something. Um, yeah. Because I think it also tap, taps into what's often can be the case with foraging is that just assuming because you can forage something that therefore whether it be sap or whatever it is that therefore you should or you ought to whereas you know a lot of the time it's it's what does the plant what what's the plant's perspective on this you know does it want to be foraged it's a question yeah i mean i you know, I, I really appreciate the sensitivity that underlies um, what you're saying, and I'm sure you can hear that this sentence is inevitably going <laughs> to add a but. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I don't. I don't know. It, it's just for me. Obviously, I've been working really hard in the last 
however many years, um, like 16 years or so now, um, to sort of make a case for people getting back into the active participation in the life cycles of plants. Mm. Um, even if that means things that, that you know, look like almost industrial thing, like, you know, you see a, a forest, a birch forest with all these tubes running from the trees, going to a main thing to, 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 to collect all that sap and make syrup and, and the same with the maples and, and whatnot. Um, mm. just, just because the fact that people are then putting a value on that forest gives a reason for it to continue to be a forest. Yeah. And, and then, you know, we could extend the boundaries back out, you know, rather than an encroachment on wild nature if we're weaving plants and other organisms back into human culture because of use, yeah, not just the aesthetic thing that we were referring to earlier. Yeah. And I've, if I can get back to it, I will. I wanted to say something about that. Um, um, so therefore the overall thing is, is let's not say it's, well, I don't know. The overall thing it's, is fine because, because it, it when you bring it to the individual level, I can understand and really appreciate the sensitivity that you're trying to bring in there. And and I'm more, I'm more, I'm moving into that kind of consideration myself now mm. because I think I need to understand the other side of, of, of this argument. But I, I kind of think it's almost like there's a necessity to kill that deer when you are living in a, in a, in a, in a hunter gatherer culture an animal does have to die, uh, and it's necessary. And 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 the impact of the humans in that place is going to cause disturbance in the form of death of animals, you know, like or like we talked about a few weeks ago on this truffle episode we did. You know, the pigs uprooting the truffles was causing disturbance, which is actually beneficial. So we accept mm -hmm. that we do this disturbance, but I think what you're bringing into the conversation and what is beginning to sort of I feel tap on my shoulder is the other side to that. Which is that the indigenous the indigenous approach is yeah, so very very reverential and and polite. So look, I have to do this, but do you well, mind? It's the, it's, it's the who speaks for wolf approach, isn't it? It's like what what you know what does nature say? Not not what what do we want from it? What you know? I mean, it's it's interesting because I agree what you. I, I mean, I can I certainly you know, a large part of me totally gets the idea that you know habitat loss often occurs simply because of a lack of well noticing as we, we we talked of but a lack of valuing um and a, an easy way in is to look at the kind of in, in, in kind of intrinsic value of, of something in terms of its you what I, I maybe i'm getting my terms um no it's not intrinsic, is it? it's, it's the opposite it's the utility value rather yeah. Um, the utility value, which for me would be, you know, great. There's this traditional thing that we can do. We can tap the birch for sap and let, let's protect the wood because it's kind of useful. But yeah, it's I, I kind of like that. But I, I I guess I like at the same time or in parallel and perhaps even more that we value something just for its intrinsic value for its beingness you know without it having to have a use um for us yeah um, 
Yeah, I mean the thing the thing is it it's just like where will we get to where or how will we get to where we we really need to be and that is human culture utterly interwoven again with with the rest of culture you know the the the, the intricacies of, mm. of life cycles and and seasons and places and so on that we in our organic life and our practical life as well as our imaginative and spiritual life are, are thoroughly woven back in so that our presence there is is benign rather than at the moment our presence being utterly destructive uh, the question is how do we get back in and the thing is i mm -hmm. i find it interesting that 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 what's led me to be so engaged is this utilitarian practical thing first i mean mm -hmm. to begin with it's fascination mm -hmm. it was the, the 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 thing of okay we've got a business you know what what can we what can we do with this platform that we have as a result of the business that lots of people are paying attention mm -hmm. and wanting to know what you can do with stuff and, and we could use this and use that and and you know obviously anything that would have happened in the midst of that that was clearly destructive well we have i remember you and i picking that sea purse land and realizing that it was getting lower and lower and lower and wasn't growing back so we had to start mm. changing what we did that's the only example i can think of other than oh yeah and we took one time we took too much mallow flour from somewhere and and wondered why it wasn't there the following year and then we mm. just oh it's so thick you know of course it's not there we took all the flour didn't drop the seed so but, but then we left it alone and it's it's come back so there, there weren't that many examples of realizing that what we were doing was actually causing that kind of harm uh, but 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 you know i find myself now as i say i i am touched by what you're saying and, and i feel like it's the kind of space i'm beginning to move myself into but so this is me coming back to the aesthetic thing now which you talked about earlier i have an issue with people who are their starting point is is the aesthetic thing and their ending point is the aesthetic thing and they're actually like the the the, the conservation police saying don't touch it you know because you know after all uh, humans touching it is what's <laughs> the problem and and i have to say no 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 what's what's caused this problem is humans ceasing to touch it yeah, you've got people from from this industrialized nation causing the passenger pigeon and the great orc to go extinct because they have lost their fundamental love relationship with the natural world. You know, so mm -hmm. then when they touch it, they kill it. But but, but they're not touching it in that sense. The the, the sense that we're and this is where we kind of got to make the the argument. You know, what is the difference between foraging and this kind of plunder? That's happened in the past that has been so destructive. What is the difference? You know? mm -hmm. uh, but 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 my point is when people are just saying, okay, we're connecting imaginatively with nature. Um, as I've had a debate with some quite prominent people in the in the world of, well, a prominent person in the world of nature writing who I, I won't sort of name because it would be kind of unpleasant to do that. But um, you know, saying you know, we 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 imaginatively connect with nature and that's the answer. You know, we. The, Nature can't take the pressure of us connecting in, in the way that you're saying. If everybody did that, the ecosystems would collapse and all this sort of thing. And I, and I just think, well, fundamentally, there is a great divide between people who think that and people who think this. But perhaps it's the indigenous worldview, Fergus, mm. that brings the two together. Because, you know, 
they're, they're wanting to say no harm. And so we just look, but not touch. Good, I'm good. saying we've got to yeah. touch in order to understand mm. our place in the world. But I mean, I mean, there are many ways of touching. I mean, when, 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 I mean, I, you know, I'm thinking about just, I just had the image came to me of you know, like something I enjoy immensely is just taking my shoes and socks off and, you know, going out for a walk and, you know, really connecting yeah. with the ground. It makes your breath slow down. Um, you start to notice things. And that's, that's, a, that's, that's a, a, a real tangible touching that doesn't, that doesn't involve the necessity to, to kind of gather or, or utilize in any kind of more obvious sense. Um, so, yeah, I, I was just interested in what, the, can you expand a bit on the uh, imaginatively touching and how that relates to the aesthetic aspect that you were saying? Well, you know, the thing, the thing, I mean, the thing is because I'm coming full circle in a lot of ways. You know, I guess all these journeys are never in a straight line. You just mm. just weave back to where you were. <laughs> and and, and um, so, you know, I used to engage a lot with poetry um, and I'm beginning to do that again now. But, but I got to a point with some of these thoughts about the need to practically connect with land, especially this debate I got into with this, this guy. Uh, all about the new nature writers of making people connect imaginatively and that's going to do far more good than you guys saying go and forage but so i mean i got to a point where i was really like so wordsworth classic one he says i wandered lonely as a cloud um and and i de i developed this sort of de this contempt really for for him you know as this is this person coming from a moneyed background you know who could wander lonely as a cloud past lots of working men who were actually having a practical relationship with the land, the farm workers that he'd wandered past, you know, mm. whilst he's just writing poetry. And so I, I, I got to the point of really quite sneering at that, you know. <laughs> you know, it's that farm labourer that's actually got the, the space that you claim to occupy. He's doing yeah. his blood, sweat and toil, you know, uh, and, 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 you know, and he's eating food from the land, having participated in those life cycles and, all of this kind of stuff, he, you know, you, you, you're, you're flirting with something that, that he possesses with all of his body. And even then, I've read some of these poets talking very, very contemptuously about the working man, saying, well, you know, the ordinary man doesn't know a thing about this. And I'm thinking, well, you, you've got to be joking, you know, it's someone that works the land. But anyway, well, I'll get into all sorts of little... I I, a book, uh, I, just a book that I, I for, for years, it was in my, my kind of top five of, of really enjoyable books which you might enjoy it's just sort of slightly related it's called the intellectuals and the masses by john Carey. have you ever read that no um, it's very very good um it it looks at kind of 18th 19th century kind of intellectuals and kind of writers and and you know how that they they kind of rail against the kind of encroaching of the kind of urban sprawl from their kind of rich uh, kind of country pads and you know and the peasants coming uh no, it's just it's just right you, i think you ought to enjoy it immensely i just um, mm. put that out there oh but, yeah. yeah it's a good read yeah i mean so i guess the thing is that the the, the imaginative thing is is um yeah i mean it is look but don't touch essentially it's saying so i can allow i can allow these things to stimulate my imagination i can tell stories i can you know generate metaphors or or whatever but i am not an active participant in this landscape and i guess that 
the person I was talking to was saying, well, yeah, I am. I'm participating imaginatively. I'm thinking, oh, okay. What if you did that with your wife? You know, what if you just, <laughs> what if you just looked at her, thought about her, uh, but never touched or spoke or did something practical together? It, that would be weird, wouldn't it? <laughs> Yeah, it's a good. It's a good point. It's a very good point. It, it's interesting. You also, it's, it's brought another memory to mind about like the imagination and sometimes how a good story and something that we even might subscribe to in terms of the value behind it um, just remains a story and, and is can be at odds with what real connection is. And my my example here is. I think about 10 years ago now, I, I with a uh, kind of sea search guide. Um, do, you, do you know sea search is like identifying like seaweeds and, and uh, you know, corals and sponges and all the rest of it. And it's, it's a whole kind of network of people. But uh, with Sea Search East, organized by this guy, Rob Spray, we, we did a, a seaweed survey of the uh, east coast of England. And we got up to, uh, I think it was Lincolnshire, somewhere but anyway, we were on a, a, a natural England property, which we were staying at, and it was our base for bringing back the seaweeds and doing some microscopic analysis and all the rest of it. And that evening, we'd, 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 we'd just gone out and we'd gathered a little handful of marsh samphire and kind of cooked it. Now, we cooked this in like the main kind of study room uh, where there were posters all around. There was this very big poster, um, the theme of which was eating locally and seasonally. And it, it had um, images of various food products. And it said like the food miles, you know, it could be a, a burger or crisps or even your lettuce. And, you know, how this was all not good. And we should really think about eating locally. Anyway, the head of the um, natural England for that area he came in to just say hello and and you know he was kind of very pleasant and until he saw that we were eating a small quantity of marsh samphire um, at which point you know his his mood his demeanor changed and he was very annoyed and he was saying that you know we we we're here to do seaweed thing but we were we were gathering and eating like the plants are protected on this kind of nature reserve. And uh, and I was both like, I wonder what the, the emotion is where you're both s simultaneously laughing and horrified and angry at the same time. <laughs> That's kind of how I felt. And, uh, and, and I just kind of, I was shaking my head and, and I said, I, you know, can look, you've got to look at the, the, the context of like the absurdity here, where we are, like the quantity we picked and the poster behind you, which clearly you subscribe to, um, because this is an exact example of us eating in, in a really sustainable, engaged, mindful, conscious way, a little bit of the local um, flora. Um, and yeah, he didn't, he, he, he just couldn't see beyond his, um, detached, ob observe and and protect, but don't engage. Perspective. It was so in. It was so interesting. Um, and just how all those elements came together to make it so absurd. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that, yeah, this is, this is, um, I mean, obviously don't get me started on natural England, but uh, <laughs> there's, um, there's a book by Jack Turner, which, which I'm just re-engaging with at the moment called the abstract wild. And he absolutely rages against the whole kind of national park, um, conservation thing mm. where basically people's what was it he said there's some word he uses about connecting it's it's um oh, i'll have to try and find it. it it's it's like solid connect he comes up with some phrase that means that you really are connecting and 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 he says that what's peddled by national parks and the little storyboard exhibits you have when you go to a nature reserve and all of this stuff is so carefully constructed and, and um, that, that people are not ever really having that, that substantial, I forget this phrase, but is whatever it is, connect thing. We'd say vital connection, wouldn't we, with the AOF yeah. mantra, but, but he's saying the same thing with using a different phrase. Um, he's saying, but you never get to that. You, 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 all you are doing is it's just it's tourism, leisure, entertainment, whatever you like. But but this is remote control. It's it's by several steps removed from ever actually. It's I mean, in one way you could call it is voyeurism, you know, and, and, and the same as all this nature TV. And the fact is, what proves to you that it doesn't work is climate change. If this was actually getting through to people all of this stuff where people go to bird watching or, or to the nature reserve or whatever that 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 you know there's a way things are meant to be and it's so far removed from where we are what are we going to do about it you know there would be substantial support for action on climate change and there isn't there would be lifestyle choices you know because because ultimately those lifestyle choices would would translate into what you find in somebody's fridge, as you very rightly point out mm -hmm. with this natural Indian guy. Mm -hmm. If people were really connecting with nature, they'd be hearing nature going, help, just connect for five minutes and listen. You'll find out there's a howl coming from the natural world saying you have to stop doing this. And, and also, where have you gone? You, know, you used to be here and now. Now you're not. That, that's what people would hear if they were actually, actually, so let's call it an actual connection with nature rather than a, a, a one in a, in a realm, frankly, of fantasy. And that's what, that's what this guy is saying. You know, Jack Turner's made, I mean, he goes further than me because his is basically a treatise on behalf of being really fucking angry. Mm. He's saying, if we saw what was actually the truth of what's happening right now, we would be raging. We would be absolutely raging about the state of things. And, and, he's, and so his point is, you know, since it doesn't leave people angry enough to take steps to stop what's going on, then that's not actual connection. Um, but, I mean, I guess that's my thing, you know, like it's not into into somebody that's doing something about it i mean it comes back to what we were talking about earlier that 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 yeah getting in touch with with the feeling sense um be they like bodily feelings of connection but also that the emotions are going on in there you know and i think once 
one we are relating to in our head in terms of like the stories which are you know stories can be amazing but also can be a source of separation you know i mean the question is whose story you know because like the the the, the, beautiful, the, the beautiful thing with yeah if you sat around a campfire in any part of the world pre-agriculture the stories you'd have been hearing would have been your stories and that have been the story of this place and the and the the plants and the animals that we see every day. So you would know your place in that story. And the point mm. of the story would be to get you to be further finding your place in that story. Yeah. It's much morning when the sun comes up, you know. Well, what do these stories do now? They go, they make us think, hmm, how interesting. Or whatever, you know. I mean, maybe they'd move us to a place we should be. But the point is, where are our stories? That's what I would ask. Where are our stories for, for, for our place, where we are and who we are? That, you know, yeah, they've been subverted, um, and you know, it's just one dominant story, which is buy more, <laughs> more yeah. buy more, consume right. more. Not enough. That, that's the other story. Did you know you're not enough? Therefore, buy more. Yeah, and then we get on to all that, the toxic mim- mimics, a lack of connection, which is yeah, buy more, eat too much, drink too much you know have too much sex whatever just also and yeah just and in fact to kind of keep us in a kind of dissociated kind of state where we're not feeling into our true feeling connection that we could have with the with the world and be able to listen and and, and kind of relate appropriately but it's interesting because i do sometimes it's not really a battle it's just like a, a honing within inside me trying to you know, how much relevance do I give the intellect and the mind? How much can I kind of um, kind of tune into what I really feel? And it's kind of interesting because when you were saying just now about, you know, if we could really connect, we could really listen, that would hear this roar. And, and I think, and that's it. That is the, you know, it's not just a fairway phrase. I really did used to think, and it was all about thinking that that, you know, that we are doing collectively you know, a lot of damage to the natural world. But, you know, I increasingly, the, 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 certainly the thought, and maybe this just because I just can't get into the feeling, because possibly it's just so overwhelming and immense if there is a roar there. But I, I'm feeling, or maybe that, that there isn't a roar. Maybe, I, I, you know, I, maybe, I mean, I, I just think in terms of like, geological time and eons and 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 maybe it's just something i do to self-soothe myself but it's just that you know i i I increasingly feel that well yeah in the long view everything's absolutely fine um because species whether they be humans or animals insects plants whatever you know they, they come into existence they go out of existence um, and it's just this great kaleidoscopic un- unfolding of of, of 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 nature, you know, over 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 time. Uh, so I, I kind of have those thoughts, and they kind of make me feel better. But then I think, well, those thoughts can also lead to that kind of, I guess, it's connected with kind of spiritual bypassing. You think, you know, if you've got this kind of greater picture, and everything's fine and actually everything's as it should be and it's all great and so therefore there's nothing to be done so <laughs> i feel this kind of conflict sometimes like um do, do you know i don't even know what i'm saying exactly but i think maybe you you 
Yeah. Have to pull something out of that. Yeah, I mean, that certainly is valid. Like the the perspective of 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 the geological time and 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 that this is all transitory. Um, but in terms of, I think that I think justice is what what probably kicks in to to to. Uh, to nevertheless reassert the fact that there is a, a catastrophe unfolding, and 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 what are we going to do about it? Because you know this is this is an unfolding of a, a you know a terrible um, you know the species extinction, the habitat loss is 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 one side of the equation. Mm. The other side to the equation is the people that will come uh, soon after us, if not next week you know and, and won't mm. be able to see a skylark in england or or and mm. probably not the best example because they're not doing too badly at the moment i think but i'm thinking about the birds i don't see that i used to when i was a child and mm. and and things are getting poorer and sadder in 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 my view and 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 actually it is in a sense all about us because you know as you say it'll, it'll all sort itself out if if we if we go extinct or if we manage to find a way to live and we stick around for millions of years because we crack it you know and then mm. more species evolve again um, but there's the uh, there's the terrible poverty of of human life and mm. and and at the end of the day i do think that we should feel sorry for ourselves in spite of the kind of necessary uh, balancing out of the argument that our vegan friends are bringing to the table, you know, that it's not just mm. about us and, and there, there are mm. other sentient beings who we are thoughtlessly just uh, treating as we wish, as, as, as without any consideration for, for them, as if we were the only sentient beings, you know, that does need redressing. But there's no question in my mind that we are the most sentient beings and, and here we are able to to know the world in this in this wonderful way we've been talking about and, and what all of this means the stuff that's going wrong is that, that we're not going to be able to do that i mean it, it's what's happening now mm. so we're not doing that we're living in in these sort of close circuit yeah. situations no i don't think I, I, can, I, can, I can see where you're going the only thing i say perhaps built into the to the idea of what the most sentient being is would be a being that doesn't cause or facilitate aggravating climate chaos, <laughs> um, which is us. Uh, yeah, but but that's so, because yeah. Sorry, go on. So certainly, we are one of the very sentient beings, and with a unique perspective. But I'm, I'm just not quite sure about. The most sensitive, sentient being, if, if you, you bring my added um, qualification, that the, the most sentient being would, would not yeah. relate in such a way to each other um, and the natural world that brings these consequences about. Um, I mean, obviously, I can't, I can't disagree with that at all. It, 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 so, but I guess there's two different things, and that's what we, what we are in, in terms of our... Um, fundamental um capacity in nature you know which we've been talking about in a very positive way that that we're just geared up for this interrelatedness this sort of mm. stuff this oneness 
Mm. That's what I totally get up for. And and as I said earlier, you know, the the, the, the incredible thing is that that's, that that state of affairs has been capable of being sabotaged. But that's what we're looking at. We are looking at the sabotage of that, which is desensitized us because you you sort of tripped up slightly in your enunciation of sentient into sensitive which i thought <laughs> i realized i know it's interesting it's wasn't it? apt. i realized I, it was happening and i just le- left it <laughs> i think it's very apt because because sentient i mean i'm reading this book by um peter hobson called cradle of thought at the moment i mean i've been digging into it this morning i wonder if i can just magically pull out something that will say what i'm trying to say here um because because he's 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 basically looking at the fact that our to and froness, which involves tremendous um, sensitivity. Uh, okay, here we go. Most important for the dawning of thought is the baby's capacity to be moved emotionally. So, I mean, um, I, so I won't try and go any deeper into it, but, but, but the title of the book is called Cradle of Thought, and what he's actually saying it, is the thing that actually holds and nurtures our infant capacity for thought, and that develops into the, the, the full-blown capacity for, for potential, um, is this, uh, this capacity to be moved emotionally. So it's, mm. it's the sensitivity that is integral to the high flights of, I mean, he has on the front, he has the picture, one of William Blake's pictures with the inscription, teach these souls to fly, you know, so... The high flights of human potential in terms of thought are utterly bound up with with the the the, the innate capacity to, to be moved by other people and and especially if we extend that out and say other people are landscapes and plants and other other animals and so mm. on. That so when I say that 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 the, the most the greatest capacity for sentience or the most sentient being whatever I said. That's what I mean, Fergus. I'm, I'm, I mean the, the wonderful beings that mm. we have it in us to be and that we are biologically predisposed to be. It's just that we've mm. managed to self-sabotage mm. with the, the – the, I mean, I've got a whole um, train of thought, which we won't dig, dig into now, I guess, but I, I just think abstraction and, and intellectualizing and, and, and particularly the male-dominated thing mm. um, of – of um, just wanting to pin everything down and make it either yield its secrets or else do something useful for us that, that we want, you know, mm. that without that being balanced by this uh, emotional sensitivity, yeah, we are fucked, you know, we, we are, and we are a disaster going somewhere to happen. And unfortunately mm. we are here and we are the disaster happening, but, but that's not who we're meant to be, you know, and I, I, I'm just thinking about the, the real catastrophe is 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 this loss of um, you know, and that's why I say the second cry from the land would be where have you gone? You know, that that the, the, there's this this um, agony that's being caused to the to the to the to the uh, the, um, the the well-being of the biosphere. But I guess the thing, the the irony is for me is that we feel it more than anything else. It's us that are feeling it. It's it's us in our neurotic driven consumer culture states but everything mediated by machines it's us that are feeling that agony but, mm. but, but 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 actually it ends up being 
a, a sort of dissociated deadness, as you say. Yeah, yeah. We're not even feeling it. We are not feeling the agony <clears throat> of feeling because it's so bad that we have just switched it off and we're just we're just numb. Um, and yeah. Then- yeah. I think so, and I I think that is one of the yeah the greatest stumbling blocks to kind of rightful engagement really is that that increasingly kind of disassociated state that does does happen and you know and people often think that this is just connected with you know childhood trauma or you know pds what what do you call it pds pds yeah i always get it wrong um yeah but it's it's not i you know i think I, I, and I think, you know, collectively, we're, we're becoming increasingly traumatized by witnessing, um, but not wanting to witness what, what is going on around us in, in terms of, you know, destruction, environmental destruction. Um, I, I find it very hard to in, engage with. And, and you know, some sometimes I I wish that, that you know, I'd have this fantasy that someone would just take me through this process where I can just and just cry and cry and cry. You know, just the thought of that now I can feel like myself going into my head. You know, I'm not knowing how to go to that point, but because I I think that point has immense power to to, to heal. And, you know, and I know there are people out there increasingly doing grief, grief work around mm-hmm. um, kind of environmental issues. But it's not something I personally tapped into. But, I, you know, I, like I feel like they're bending out within me. I, ironically, I say that, but it but isn't crying out within me, you know, to tap into that. Uh, yeah, I mean, it all, it all comes back to the body, doesn't it? Like in, in that sense, that, that it, it's weird because I've been... Um, well, actually, let me, before I say that, let me, let me just, so what you were saying just now, I wanted to, to respond to about people talking about the childhood trauma and, and actually mm. something else is going on uh, as above and beyond that, that people think they're just suffering from the trauma of their own, whatever happened as a child, was actual fact that, that the, the, there are parallel things going on in terms of the world at large that are deeply traumatizing. Our, yeah. There's another, another, I'm doing a lot on uh, child development at the moment as my personal reading. So I'm mm. reading, um, well, I'm dipping in, to be honest, to, to John Bowlby's work on uh, mm-hmm. um, attachment, separation and loss. And, I, and I've just had a little dip into the, the third book on loss. The opening paragraph really struck me. Uh, I'll, I'll just read it out. During the present century, a number of, talking about the 20th century, actually, um, a number of psychoanalysts and psychiatrists have sought causal links between psychiatric illness, loss of a loved person, pathological mourning, and childhood experience. I'll just read it out again. During the present century, a number of psychoanalysts and psychiatrists have sought causal links between psychiatric illness, loss of a loved person, pathological mourning, and childhood experience. And that that just leapt out at me, really just to say almost exactly what you've just been alluding to there mm. that the loss of a loved person is 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 the loss of our basic state of being soundly and safely related to the world at large you know 
that mm-hmm. used to be fundamental for people. They, they, they were rooted in a place. They were rooted in the biological cycles of life of the other species in that place, the seasons, the weather. And then beyond that, they've been related to, to other people in that community who were also related to that place, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so the end result being the loss of it's like a loved person, but it's 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 a love relationship mm. with the world at large. And as a result, there's pathological mourning uh, that, that 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 just seeps into their very bones, you know. That and we're not yeah. aware of it, you know. That's that's the underlying atmosphere. That's actually the elephant in the room of mm. our malaise as human beings in in the 21st century is the loss of a loved person. You know, we, we, we once were related and embedded, and, and now we are outcasts and just spat out. You know, it's like we've been vomited out of, of mm-hmm. the energy because we no longer have any way to, to, to properly fit. You know, everything we do is, is, um, is, is discordant with, with the, uh, the cycles of life. Comes from a machine. So our bodies must be feeling pretty funny in light of that is kind of what I want to get back to. Yeah. We, we mm. must be feeling pretty odd to, to not be part of things anymore, like yeah. the loss of a loved one. Yeah. Mm. And I guess what that, I mean, it throws up the question of obviously like what, what, what healthy, healthy mourning rather than pathological mourning would, would look like. Wow. Well, I guess part of it is, is, you know, I mean, we do what we do. I think, I mean, we all have different motivations, but, you know, one thing I, I tell people to do, and it, it might be absurd, but I, you know, I feel I, I'm, I'm keeping the, the continuity from our ancient, ancient ancestors in terms of plant knowledge and engagement, like going, like keeping it going, like that thin thread, keep it going. Mm. Um, in in the modern world, because it served us for hundreds of thousands of years, and and may continue and probably will do it into the future. So, so my, I guess my grieving is the sense of doing something. That that I guess that's my I I I'm my kind of activism really is that yeah. activism is the is the is the grieving. But but then you know as I kind of. You know, I spoke about before. It's like, yeah, I, I, I still very often there's this detached sense that I can't kind of connect with those emotions around it. Um, yeah. Well, I'll tell you what immediately came to mind when, when, when you, um, when you asked that question, like what, what form would the what functional, mm. non, you know, what, what healthy or, or or right kind of morning would come i immediately thought not of morning but joy and, and let me explain what i mean because this book is so depressing i don't think i am going to be able to actually read it, it, it it's, it's talking about small children separated from their mother and how they responded mm. so far most of the cases like the mother's not dead you know she's, she's just for some reason dumped them in a home and i mean sounds very judgmental like no idea of the circumstances Mm-hmm. But it just sounds awful, you know. Here's this kid, and mum's out there somewhere, not coming to see him, and and how they behave, and it looks at how this this loss manifests itself in the child's behaviour and state of mind, etc. And presumably, it's going to go on to show how that 
manifests in in adult life as depression and goodness knows what. Mm. But um, my immediate thought was, well, hang on a minute. Our situation is rather different. In 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 one sense, in terms of our personal relationship, I know that doesn't solve the destruction of the Amazon and, and all of those kind of things, which we still need to find ways to grieve and and be activists, as, as you're saying. Mm-hmm. But but the, there's a very different situation here. The loss of the loved one is because we left. Mm-hmm. Mother, if we say land and this relationship is like relationship with with uh, a mother she, she's still there and and um and we can just walk straight back you know and that and that's what's so powerful about you know i completely agree with you that we are playing that role when you're teaching people plants it is that threat mm-hmm. continuity uh, to just re just say to people basically the land's still here and these plants are all still here yeah. Your capacity to know them and have them in your life in all the ways we've been talking about, whether it's imaginatively or practically or emotionally or attentively, it's possible to rectify that right now. You can come back into direct linkage with your surroundings right now, this mm. very moment. You can, And this can be ongoing if you just learn some simple recipes, learn some plant ID and get into, um, just get out into these spaces. And these spaces mm-hmm. might just be your lawn, you know, as long as you're not putting weed killer on it, you've got dandelions and plantain and yarrow. Um, just welcome mm-hmm. back, you know. We, we, we're in that position to just welcome people back, saying, guys, welcome back, it's so good you're here. Um, you've been here all along, but for some reason, you've been here and not here. But here's a dandelion, welcome back. It's funny. That's immediately what I thought when you said about the grief in the morning. It's just, and and I think it, that, as you say, you say that that's your activism, and I completely agree. I think this is how we save the Amazon rainforest. We have to just propagate people being in their place, who start from a Western mindset of being completely not in their place. This is the mm. thing we need, and 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 then and then we'll kind of go back into. The, the affirmation and the defense of these ancient life ways of indigenous people, because mm-hmm. they all sound, you must be mad. What do you mean you're going to try and convert that, you know, buy stuff in a supermarket and, and, and work crazy hours and have a nervous mm-hmm. breakdown because they're worried about paying a mortgage instead of living like that? Well, what do you mean? For crying out loud, we need to keep them as long as they want to live in these ways because that's actually the signpost of how we're going to go forward as a civilization to actually be, um, to be like that. Yeah. Mm. That's it's interesting. You you were saying about it's that we we what did you say? You said that we've left that we we walked away. Yeah. From from kind of mother nature nature. Um, is that what you were saying? Um, we collectively have. Yeah. So where and where. Where did we go? That's the question. Where did we go? Did we go into, like, you know, an over patriarchal kind of culture, or and or what? Where, where did we go? That's the question. Where did we go? I just no these are ideas that just come coming up just now. I just yeah. just uh, this, this this train of thought. Um, and then I and I started thinking about patriarchy and that over kind of rational intellectual kind of perspectives 
and controlling perspectives. It's kind of stuff that you know Charles Eisenstein talks about in his, particularly in his his book, The Ascent of Huma- Humanity. You know, um, but but also um, that that hyper rational way. It, I think it's just it's a closing down. It closes down the heart, and, and a closing down of the heart is is kind of a walking part of the walking away. And, you know, coming back to that inability to feel. And and this is, I, I say this in, in a, yeah, partly I had 10 minutes and I was standing outside with my housemate. I said, oh, I'm going to do a kind of podcast with a friend in a minute. Um, 10 minutes, which I do. Um, I said, you know, I think I'm going to practice the violin for 10 minutes, uh, mm. which I did for five minutes. But she said, oh, well, why don't you do some laughter yoga? <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, and then uh, I was doing the impression of doing laughter yoga. And then she was saying to me that like last week she'd seen like these silly videos on, on YouTube about um, people, um, like people with like really serious illnesses. And then she gave an example of like someone like, you know, they start saying, like, I've got, you know, I've got bowel, terminal bowel cancer, <laughs> you know, like wow. really la- laughing about this. You know? And I was thinking, well, and it also made me slightly off a tangent about this tragic kind of story. Uh, a child in Syria that I saw, her, her father had trained her to laugh as the bombs were, fall, they were falling, um, to not really know what that, that was, but it was something to kind of laugh on her, so not to be traumatised by the bombs. But anyway, as part of the grieving, grieving is to meet it with joy, to meet it with laughter, to stop the closing down of the heart. It's not that laughing in a sense that, oh, yeah, my I'm destroyed to, to make way for um, what's this, this this big train line that's being built. I, what is the, what's the one? The, I speed two, yeah. Yeah, like, um, so kind of you know, laughing at that, but laughing as a way to kind of open the heart and not get into this kind of heady space of kind of just more of the same kind of control like mm. but like find the answers from a, a point a place of love i guess that is what i'm coming coming yeah. to uh, which is a place of, of, of joy you know which can be greed i guess i'm trying to relate this to yeah how what you said about how the the, the grieving can actually be a sense of joy so all those kind of things just associated with it it's part of the answer for, to me yeah i mean i suppose there's two questions you you were asking like about one one was how do we express that grief and and secondly what you know what do we do about the thing that we're grieving about and mm. certainly that sounds amazing like to to laugh in the face of things um as a thing of saying i will not be shut down you know i'm going to stay mm. open yeah, absolutely. And I'm, you know trusting you know that that that, that life will nevertheless come forth with goodness mm. you know the sun will rise again and, and, and all that but um i don't know I, st- I still feel we're skirting around the grief issue i think it's probably because we really don't know um, but i mean it's, it's interesting um how yeah i, I mean I, I i mean your your podcast has come thick and fast and um, i think there's been about 50 since and i kind of mean to kind of catch up in in moments but uh it's it's just interesting how you know i think quite uniquely in a sense that foraging talk of wild food can lead into these much more expansive kind of conversations which i'm sure you've had with other people mm. um it's it's yes it's a it's an interest interesting way in isn't it to these kind of deeper questions about connection and meaning 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do. I do feel that 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 it's such a, you know, people. If you start talking about matters of faith, uh, people maybe would demand some evidence, you know. And depending on which religious perspective you come from, you you, you might meet with some in, incredulity as you you try to convince them that I don't know your holy book or or whatever your the founder of your chosen faith was who he said he was or or I mean it mostly is he isn't it um but I just think when when we look at this what this foraging thing does without anyone having to you know sign up to some dogma um about anything particularly complicated or hard to articulate just this point that we we both seem to share an enthusiastic uh, agreement around the idea of there is just something benign underlying things and 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 that point there i feel like it's almost like the, the plants to me if you'll excuse the graphic analogy it's like their breast milk here's <laughs> the land and the land is just exuding these wonderful things that are full of nutrients and and flavor and in many cases sweetness mm. it's, it's an exudation like 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 breast milk just just mm. expressing out you know and 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 communicating a will to nurture and mm. and, and to feed and to strengthen you know um you know, and there's obviously there's toxic compounds out there, but that, that's all in the mix. You know, just just that we need to know these things well and not just be dumb children just just grabbing. But but the fact is, that the vast majority of what is growing is 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 edible and good, and 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 mm-hmm. and uh, I, I just more and more feel that that what what I'm experiencing as I just go out there and meet with this stuff, gather some, take it home and ingest it, and and also learn to involve it in stories and recipes and things like that which which are so meaningful and part of the interplay between myself and other people um you know, the, the, in other words they're part of the, the nurturing of, of of my family and and other people that I might cook for or they cook for me you know i guess what i'm trying to say is that I, this is such a simple point to make to people that, that, that no one can argue with really or or, or most people um wouldn't to argue with it i must say i really love the image of the the plants as being like the the breast milk of the the mother of the the, the earth mother earth um because it's a very hopeful one because it it you know it really it it puts us in the in in the context that as humans we really are in our infancy and we're you know we're kind of stumbling around and maybe we're just starting to crawl and uh, making a few mistakes along the way uh, I think it's possibly seen in that context. Maybe that's naive. Maybe that could also be argued as it, it's 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 a not a metaphor to kind of follow because it, again it could lead to kind of inactivity and not doing anything because everything's going to be all right. But I, you know, I I, I like it from its its positive side, and I I think one could be inspired by metaphors sometimes, and it doesn't have to be doesn't mean that you 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 then don't do anything you know it's just but we we all need sources of inspiration i, I kind of like that one and it's partly because years ago when i was i was doing much more research into kind of all this 
things like kind of climate and all the rest of it. Um, and I was really kind of distressed. And one night I, I had a really, it felt to me a really deeply significant, profound dream where I saw like the whole of humanity as I saw like these thousands of crawling babies and they were just, they were kind of crawling into the future and they were, you know, struggling. Some of them were just, you know, taking a first upright stance and then falling over. And and beyond that, I could see lots of others. And I just had this that we're going to be all right. But where we are right now is where we're that that baby. And it just made me, made me think of that. Mm. Yeah, it, it is hopeful because, I mean, you're, you're right with what, you know, your geological time um point you know that, that i mean yeah too many nuclear bombs probably would just put a stop to everything that so i guess we do have a capacity to to, to sort of totally wipe everything out yeah. but but in other ways the thing will recover you know if, if, if just some life is left after we've finished ruining everything if if that's the scenario as it plays out mm-hmm. but um somewhere in between i don't know the 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 point is the robustness or the resilience of of mm biosphere and if we see that this came up with another conversation i had um recently um you know that whilst this is kind of pathological what we're doing in this case the the mother analogy doesn't really run that far you know or it's completely different because you know this mother is not is is so strong Mm -hmm. That you know, she's not got PTSD. You know, she's not thinking, "Oh no, the humans are coming again," <gasps> because she's so strong and deep, and 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 therefore she can take it. The thing is, the trouble is, our brothers and sisters can't. If you see what I mean, you know, and, and we can't, we can't take it. Um, but but nevertheless, our, our, our brothers and sisters being the, well, the other species, the, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. And, and 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 then other humans, you know. Yeah, but then yeah. uh, you know. I actually do feel, I, I think I 100% agree with you in, in, in where, where your, your dream was pointing there. I, I think there is some sense in which our technological foibles, and I, I guess it's trivializing in a, in a sense to call them foibles because they are so destructive. You know, what we're doing to life itself and to our own embodiedness, how we are disrupting the systems of life by our absence and our our, um, our um, forcefulness, basically the the, the the and vanity, I guess. What we are doing, I I I have started to think maybe it is just in our infancy, you know, and that we will continue to proceed, and that that rather than the kind of uh, anarcho-primitivist thing of saying we've got to abandon this and go back to just this basic level of life um, with with very simple technology and so on that maybe we can move through where that where that that we learn to wisely use far more advanced technology than we have now and yet be more present biologically uh, and and mm-hmm. so on than than ever we were as hunter gatherers even you know that, that maybe we could mm. We could move through a stage of, of just, I mean, I guess teenagers. You could see it like that. We're just awful mm. teenagers at the moment. Um, but maybe we'll come through to maturity to where we, we, we've, because basically 
I do see that technology potentially is also secrets unlocked from from our mother, you know, and, and we yeah. think we think we've stolen them in in some kind of terrible kind of burglary or even sort of rape kind of sense that we've violated and stolen these secrets. And I actually think our indulgent mother has said, look, you know, here are these secrets. You're probably going to make some mistakes, but I trust you, you know, um, and, 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 and in the end, we, we'll, we'll, we'll come out good, you know, like everybody hopes for their errant children, you know. I do think that, Fergus, so, um, yeah. If, if God is all-knowing and, and can, you know, how, how can we have free will? But, you know, we've, we've, we've given, been given free will so we can evolve and develop and, and learn to make the, the right choices, but always with the danger that, the very real danger that we can make the, the wrong ones, you know? That's the, that's the nature of it. That's the whole existential dilemma, isn't it, right there, <laughs> of, uh, of being. Yeah, it is dangerous to, 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 to let people... Um, have free reign, but then I guess we also know it's dangerous to control people too. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I I, I don't know all these terms, anarcho primitivist or primitivist or whatever. It's like you know, I I, I feel like my position where I am, I, I have one foot in everything. I like you know, part of me's there. Like another point, another part of me is like. You know, with with what might possibly do, or disparagingly be called technotopians, um, and but thinking, yeah, I mean, as you say, like the kind of technology is born out of kind of nature and nature's gifts. Uh, but then I just, I, I yeah, the, the the golden rod, like that I hold on to, is um, that I just stick with 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 what I know and I understand, and that is that, you know foraging and that level of engagement with the natural world has kind of served us well for thousands of years so stick with it but then you know i mean that the, the great gift of living where we as we are in, in the times we are now is that yeah is, is working out that how you know, foraging can be utterly utterly relevant in, in kind of contemporary modern world you know yeah. drawing drawing on the best of historical knowledge and and the, the best of you know current knowledge and looking into the future you know it's, it's it's really exciting yeah yeah and i i don't envisage any kind of when i talk about technology being taken further than we have now but in a in a in a way that doesn't cause the damage that 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 it causes now you know it's it's, it's absolutely essential to that is that i am talking about every human being alive having this vital contact that we're 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 we're, we're um we're saying is so important mm -hmm. it's just that you know that the, the technology that we have to do what we're doing now and talk when we're in different places you know there is there is some benefit to that and 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 and, and it's where we see technology um detracting from the amount of oneness that there is in the world you know the, the, of people mm -hmm. being connected to others and being connected to the biosphere and being mm -hmm. connected to to god or what, whatever you know sense we have of, of 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 the goodness at the heart of everything that technology must on balance be taking us further in rather than taking us out you know as mm -hmm. simple as that really and and i think that to me the idea of tackling the 
the, the challenge of, of the immaturity of our current state is that we have allowed all of these new gizmos that we've got to, mm-hmm. to, to, to be taking us on a journey out mm-hmm. um, w- without even noticing that that's what we're doing, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think the, the point is, for me, is the ideal scenario I'm envisaging is that people will begin to see that and think this is a really, this is a real, this is an absolute calamity. And, 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 and I'm not letting another piece of technology into my life to do more of that, you know, mm-hmm. uh, like whether it's a ready meal or, or, or the fact that we compulsively check our Facebook accounts. Or mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's, it's interesting talking about childhood development on, as a kind of larger metaphor or just in, in terms of yeah, human development. That's, um, I mean, it's sometimes I, you know, I think, well, where are we going to, where is it? going to lead given that you know my basic knowledge of childhood development is so and I think about what drew me into foraging and like it was that kind of really profound experience between like three and four of collecting dandelions um, on Wimbledon Common in London for my for my tortoise Um, and then between like the ages of kind of seven and eleven I was absolutely fascinated by butterflies and moths and identifying wild plants I could find caterpillars and, and eggs and and I remember like quite a few years ago now doing some kind of basic research in childhood development. And 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 those two periods seemed where I was really engaged in this um, enthralled and um, wonderful way with the natural world seemed to map on. I can't remember whose theory it was, but I mean, in, in terms of being a profound moment in both those times in childhood development where if at, at those points you're having positive engagement with the natural world, then as an adult, you're going to go on to value nature or in, in some way relate to it in a, in a more positive, constructive way. So when I so and I mean, I'm I'm sure that's absolutely led into in, into if consciously or otherwise in, into what, what I what I do now. But I I do wonder, you know, when you know children now are you know they're engaged with looking at some 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 screen or some some game during those key moments when really nature engagement is what what would be so beneficial if later on as adults they then go into I'll be able to relate in in a in a in a positive way to the natural world and all that all that flows from that. I just I, I just wonder what you you thought of that. Oh yeah. dear, yeah, I, I'm I'm just I'm just. It drives me absolutely nuts to 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 know the kids don't even come outside now. They're just inside on devices. Mm. You, you know, we we don't have any kids in our village who are allowed to come out. We send our kids off to the woods. So mm. just go for a walk, and 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 they've got mates in the village. We've asked several times, and now we realise it's just the 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 mum is just not comfortable with that. Mm. But I have constant supervision, you know. So we could, in theory get them out and go for a walk with them and our kids. But the idea of our kids going out with their kids to just go into the woods is just not going to happen. And, and and our kids are the only kids in the woods. You know, if they go out there, they just it's, and 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 I think the world that we've got now is the product of people who at least did have some freedom. Ooh. So we're so a so frightened of pedophiles grabbing our kids. Which, I mean I can understand that fear, but it's not a rational fear in terms of the likelihood of it happening, you know, it's no more likely than it was 20 years ago, and it, and it hardly happened to anyone. It's, it's like people's own family that have perpetrated most of these awful crimes, um, rather than strangers in the woods. 
and 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 secondly the fact that what they are doing when they're not going to the woods or, or out just in the field um is they're um they're on devices you know so it's me that i belatedly i'm not a sporty person at all but but my little boy kit is is really keen on football and and i've i've, I've realized well hang on a minute they're outside and they're moving their bodies and they're doing this this back and forth thing with other kids you know Mm-hmm. So now I can see the point of sport, which I've I've never you know just mm-hmm. never been sporty. But that is immensely better than than what happens to kids most of the rest of the time. So yeah, no, I'm I am deeply troubled by it, and it mm-hmm. means that for us as foragers, you know, um, we we got to get this to be just a really normal thing that all of us do. Getting this foraging just doing foraging with kids you know i've i've done bits mm-hmm. of jobs and i've tried to get a project going we couldn't get funding for it but um i'm just gonna have to just do it anyway but um <sighs> got to do that with 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 children because um getting kids to to, to eat wild foods when they're young mm. will will be a big part of making things better i think yeah all right well we've talked for ages um we could carry on but, um, it could go on indefinitely. It's the, it's these kind of conversations that they're they're just exploratory and they very loose ended. <laughs> but we've been at it for over two hours, haven't we? Yeah, I think we've pushed it to the limit. I, I, we've had some pretty long ones, but this is this is the longest yet. But I don't think we're going to edit it down much. I think we'll let it go as it is, and if people think it's boring, they can turn it off. <laughs> yeah, good choice. Uh, thank you for joining us for the worldwide podcast and uh, for making it this far to the end, if you're still listening to me. So I just want to mention a couple of things that are in season. Now I've already alluded briefly to Birch Sap on a, on a previous week and indeed slow blossom, but I want to suggest a lovely thing to do uh, just to, just to celebrate um, participating in the unfolding of, of all of this new growth um, of these life forms of these plants uh, at, at this period, you know, where the land is all waking up. So we've got birch sap, we've got uh, slow blossom, just peppering the landscape with this this sort of beautiful white, still mostly against bare branches, making it very, very noticeable. And that's a sign of the land waking up. Also, there's a lot of lushness of, of plants that have just stayed with us through the winter, you know, the dandelions and, and, and the cow parsley that's been around for, for ages is now getting really lush. But there's two very common plants, which I'm sure you'll be able to track down, um, and, and one you'll definitely know, um, that is um, nettles. And I, I often say that nettles are the only um, species that, wild species that I know of that you can reliably identify in the dark. It's a very distinctive, uh, if uh, slightly painful, sensation of being stung by a nettle. So um, if you have any doubt, um, that's the way to be sure. So nettles are just coming through now in their spring growth. They have a second period of growth in the autumn, but it's not quite so lush. And now's the time to really get stuck into nettles. And you can do all sorts of things. You can you can uh, chop them and fry them till they're crispy, put them with a bit of lemon juice, salt, and chili. That's a nice thing to do. Uh, nettles and eggs, where you just... Um, you just uh, wash the nettles and then steam them in their own water for a few minutes, then fry them on quite a high heat in some oil for just a couple of minutes and add an egg just enough to coat them. And it really brings out the umami of, of the nettles. 
Thirdly, you can make the simplest nettle soup in the world. You just take a cup of hot water and a handful of nettles for each person, boil the hot water, and then put the nettles into a, um, a high-powered blender and then strain it through a sieve. And then you should put the nettle stuff in the compost. So there's, there's so many nettles, I wouldn't be worrying about food waste there. You can just compost it. It's fine. And you'll taste that tea that, that, that you've made, um, which, which with uh, just a different thinking cap on instead of thinking of it as tea you can think of it as a broth make that as a base of a soup add a little bit of salt and lemon juice or just enjoy it as tea another plant which is really coming through at the moment is cleavers now this is a plant um that you may know if you grew up in the countryside or anywhere where there were wild plants it has little sticky balls that stick to you they stick to your clothes they stick to your dog to your socks you get them in, there, in your hair, it's quite difficult to get them out. That's why it's called cleavers. But the leaves themselves are also quite, they've got these little hook-like hairs, which if you throw bits of the leaves at people, they also stick to them. It's also called sticky willy. And it's quite distinctive in how it grows. So if you, if you look at cleavers, you'll see there's a main stem, like the main axis of the plant, and the leaves stick out from that stem and they sort of radiate out like the spokes of a wheel. And that's called a wall, W-H-O-R-L. Uh, very distinctive of that particular family, the bed straw family, which incidentally also includes coffee, but uh, Clevis doesn't have any caffeine in it. In fact, it's a spring cleanser. It it, it sort of um, cleans out the lymph glands. It's generally thought of as a, as a spring tonic. So what I'm also going to suggest you do this with nettles, but what you can do with cleavers is you can get a big handful, and right now it's becoming really bushy just before it gets too tough. It's quite coarse later on in the season. So you can just take a big bunch of this cleavers and um, and what you do is, is kind of screw it up in your hands, really, really crush it and then put it in a jug and then pour water over it. But of course, at this point, instead of pouring water over it, if you've been tapping a birch tree, you can pour birch sap over it. So you get this lovely spring infusion or this spring fusion um, that uh, has all of the goodness of the the birch sap, which includes, um, there's a compound called betulin, which is anti-cancer. It's got saponins in, which are good for the skin in very small amounts, um, and and natural sugars. And it's just a, a, a lovely uh, drink in its own right, and even better when you start thinking about those kind of health benefits. But infused with the cleavers, you've then got some of the greenness of the spring awakening going in there and, and that, that sort of spring tonic effect. And you can equally do this exactly the same thing with nettles. Obviously, you need to use gloves if you're going to scrunch them up. I mean, you do need to scrunch them up. But just leave that for about half an hour and then just strain it through a sieve and you've got a lovely cold um, infusion. It's, it's quite different, the flavor, um, than, than, than tea, especially with cleavers. I find it just a bit too uh, tannic and so on. So yeah, there's a few ideas for what you can do to um, participate in the in this spring emergence. All right, so that's it, and um, thank you for listening to this week's World Wild Podcast. They will gather 
I think it's a bit on the sad side. Well, you can't hide from that, you know. You can't hide from sorrow, you know. If, uh, best to tell the truth. Best to tell the truth and then uh, and then take it from there. Uh, I think most people have a, have an appetite for joy, you know, for enjoyment and for for love and for happiness. It's it's better to get. It's better to speak your mind. It's better to say what you feel about things. And then go ahead and have some fun, you know, or, you know, make a joyful sound. I would disagree with you. I, I wouldn't say that I have a, that I don't have a joyful you know, feeling about life. I do. I really do. 